You're listening to the Woman Unmasked podcast, where pretty fades to real as real women unmask their past and share valuable lessons to help you overcome your pain and own your truth. We are unashamed, unafraid. This is the Woman Unmasked podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Woman Unmasked podcast. My name is Latera Wise, and I am your host. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing to you Miss Vernetta R. Freeney. Vernetta Freeney is an award-winning blogger and the creator, producer of the podcast, A Toast to Truths. She's an award-winning blogger, event producer, and veteran blogger. She also shares the dirty truth about entrepreneurship and loves to cover events. She was one of the top 100 young professionals in Houston in 2015 and has been featured on CNBC.com and Entrepreneur on Fire podcast. When she's not teaching you how to prevent stress, she's reading a really good book, binge watching Netflix, volunteering at a crisis center, or cheering on her beloved Dallas Mavericks. Vernetta is a regular guest on blogs, podcasts, and other media. She speaks at conferences, workshops, trainings, and more across the country with her je ne sais quoi, introverted speaking style. If all of this isn't enough, Vernetta was an ELS instructor for over 10 years and founding organizer of the Houston African American Bloggers Association. Woo! This woman is doing a lot, and I want to welcome Miss Freeney to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you so much for being on our show and for agreeing to share your story with us. To start off, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself what you do now, and just a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive in. Okay, so it's funny, because when I get this question, I always want to let people know that I am going to talk about myself, and then I will go into what I do, because they're totally separate. So uh, for those people who jump right into their position, that's not who you are. (laughs) Yes. So, Vernetta, I am a witty, sarcastic, outspoken introvert who loves chocolate, brownies, and the Dallas Mavericks. I binge watch Netflix, or I'm reading a 400-page novel in three days. I love my life. I love my family. But I am definitely someone who fights for what I believe in. If it's a truth that I feel um, aligns with who I am or what I believe in, I'm definitely going to speak up on that. So that's, that's who I am. My mom used to call me her little Angela Davis. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I, I want to be that militant. However, <laughs> I, do, I do like the fact that she spoke up for herself. And so that, that definitely is who I am. Someone who speaks up for myself and encourages other people to find out who they are and tap into that. So that's who I am. You could definitely figure out more about who I am if you follow me anytime on social media. But what I do, I'm a journaling expert. I run a blog association and I'm an ESL teacher. So that's teaching English as a second language. So I'm pretty busy (laughs) throughout my week. But as a journaling expert, I teach people how to use journaling as a way to remove stressors from their life and bring peace. However, a lot of times people don't know what peace means or feels like because they haven't defined what peace is. So I teach them how to define what peace looks like to them. With the Houston African American Bloggers Association, it's my job to 
be the voice and the face of the association. Also work with brands and PR companies to bring in paid opportunities for our members. Um, so we are a legitimate association, just like a speaker's association or a plumber's association. So I run that and then I also teach ESL to refugees here in Houston. So very, uh, very diverse. <laughs> I love that. That I do. It keeps me busy, but I, I love doing all three. Awesome. And I love that all three <laughs> and all three of those things that you do, the thread that runs through is giving people a voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I love that. I love that. <laughs> How your gift can show up in so many different ways. Yes. As long as we don't close the door on what we think it should look like. I never saw myself running a blog association. I just wanted to belong to something. It was handed to me and I said, okay, I'll figure this out. <laughs> That's kind of how life goes. You know, we just, yes. <laughs> just okay, I'm going to throw some things at you figure it out. And so um, I do want to get into the journaling because I think that's something that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily do, but it's such a great tool for people to utilize. So I want to get back into that um, a little later in our interview, but I want to go back to your story because you've, you've overcome some, some compelling things. A lot. Yes. <laughs> and I still, and I still have a smile on my face. Um, but yes, I, I have it's been a lot. <laughs> and, I, and one of the things that I love is that, is that you can still smile after that and you can, and you still have that joy. You can hear it in, in your voice when you talk about the work that you do and, and just how bubbly you are when you talk about yourself. So that's one of the things that I love to highlight in people that they can still have joy, even after all of the adversity that they've been through. Yes. is what people should know is the pain can last a long time. However, you have to make a decision. Do you want that pain to consume you or do you want to actually be happy? I chose to be happy. So I did the work to get on that path to being happy, to having peace. That was a decision. In my personal opinion, I believe you choose. Do you want to stay in pain or do you want to be happy? Yes, absolutely. I definitely agree with that statement. Everything starts with a choice. Mm -hmm. And so before you made that choice, though, you said that you suffered from depression for 20 years. Yes. I did not know that I, I had it when I was in sixth grade. So that's when it started as I was um, going through therapy and we were going through, you know, when did I start feeling a certain way? So my family moved from Fort Worth, which was close to my mom's family, and we moved back to East Texas, which was around my dad's family. And so living in Fort Worth, big city, you know, a lot of things to do. And then you move back to a small town with about 2,200 people. And, you know, it. I'm an introvert, so being thrown in, um, my parents couldn't take me to my first day of school. Mm. Literally, my uncle dropped me off at the door and I had to walk my sixth grade 11-year-old self into the office, sign myself in as a new student, wait for the principal to find open classes for me. And wow. then someone took me to the class and just dropped me off. So, <laughs> wow. so to say my first day of sixth grade, wasn't traumatizing is uh, <laughs> an understatement. Um, 
And because I came from uh, a different place, I didn't fit in with especially the black girls. I talked white. Um, I didn't dress like them. I didn't understand the local colloquialisms and um, etiquette. And so I was an outsider from sixth through eighth grade, literally. So middle school is hard enough, but yeah. to add all of that, I just kept going deeper and deeper into myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got to high school, I never wanted to leave my room. I played on the basketball team. I played softball. I played, uh, I ran track. I was active in clubs. I was on student council, but as soon as those were over, I ran home and I went into my room and I closed the door and I read or I journaled. And so as I got to college, same thing. I was a functional depressive person. No one knew that I suffered from depression because I was always involved in something. And for me, I needed to be involved in something because I needed people to see my worth through my actions. That's what I thought, that people would be able to see my worth through my actions. And then after college, working different jobs, living in different states, same thing. I would go to work, I would do my job, and then I would go home, close the door, and not want to be bothered. So it was very hard for me to make um, friends because I never left the <laughs> I never left the house unless it was literally to work or to something specific. It was the day before I turned 30, and I literally had a panic attack because I felt that my life wasn't where it should have been. And I was turning 30, and... At that time, I was homeless because I was trying to build a business and I had poured all of my money mm -hmm. into that business. So I was staying with a friend and I'm like, my birthday's tomorrow. This business is not working. Everything is just falling apart. So literally at my birthday party, my friend showed up, they were having a good time and I pretended that I was happy. And when I finally decided to speak to a counselor to go through therapy and we started uncovering things, I realized that um, not having a grandmother, I felt jealous of other people who had one. Who knew that could be a trigger for, you know, um, things, but you, you see it through the media and you see other people, grandma making cookies, you go spend the summers with grandma. My mother's mother passed away when I was 18 months. So I never really got to know her. And to this day, I still have a Cabbage Patch doll because she bought it for me. She knew she was dying. Mm -hmm. So she bought everyone a Christmas gift because she died two weeks before Christmas. Oh, wow. And I still have that doll. Um, my father's mother had a stroke when I was little, so she was incapacitated my entire um, childhood, and she died my senior year of high school. My grandfather died. My father's father also died two months later, senior year of high school. So the only grandparent I have was my mother's father. Even when we were little, he would do things, but it's different. You want a grandmother. You want you know, mm -hmm. so I was always jealous of my friends who would go to their grandmother. And when you move to the country, like I did, 
everybody has a grandmother and everybody does stuff with their grandmother. So that's really when it kind of happened when I started seeing other people's grandmothers do um, stuff with them or they come to their school plays. So I had no idea that not having a relationship with a grandmother caused so much internal pain that I never was able to really process until I went through therapy. Wow. I think a lot of people don't really think about the absence of a grandparent. I think most of the time when people Mm -hmm. think about an absentee person in your life, it's a mother, it's a father that affects you. But, you know, to have that relationship and, and to think about it now, grandmothers are so integral in our society and they're the backbones of our family most of the time. So you don't really think about yeah, <laughs> I mean, my mom, she's like, but I tried to compensate. I was like, mom, I know she gave us extra hugs and, you know, she went overboard, but I was like, you were my mother. You weren't the grandmother. And I'm a strict person when it comes to roles and relationships. Like you don't get to be every relationship role in my life. You are just my mother, but she's a grandmother now. And she dotes on my nephews. Like, She says she knows what we feel like not having a grandmother Mm -hmm. um, because she also grew up without a relationship with her grandmother. So she wants to make sure that my nephews don't. And after my brother, my sister and I, we've all had our different conversations about the absence of a grandmother. She's making sure my nephews don't have that same feeling. But yeah, grandmothers, I mean, we know they are important, but we just have no idea the impact unless you don't have one. Yes. I'm just, that's something that you don't really, <laughs> you don't really think about a lot. But, but yeah, I get it with the, like, I've always had a close relationship with my grandparents. So I, so I can understand that, mm-hmm. that feeling. And I just recently lost my grandfather who was like my entire world. So oh. So I do, so I can understand that yes. and then not having it as a child. So that's interesting. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> So during that time, you didn't have your grandparents, but did you have your parents to lean on? Did anyone know that you were dealing with depression? My mother just always knew that I was a sad child. Mm-hmm. My whole family just thought I was a sad child. Um, so my mom would try to take us on trips. She would try to take me places you know it wasn't a whole lot to do in east texas but she would try or she would take us um i remember the first time i went to a dallas mavericks game i was like seven years old and i was so excited and we were sitting way at the top in the nosebleed section and i fell in love with the team and she would try to make an effort of taking me to at least one game every season so you know we had to drive two hours (laughs) to a game but she would try Um, to make me happy but she told me that depression wasn't something that was talked about Mm -hmm. so she didn't know that I was going through things but when I turned 18 she did try to put me in therapy because my parents were going through a divorce and she wanted the three of us to be okay so she put us in therapy we all kind of was like no this is not for us (laughs) but she wanted us to be healthy she just didn't know about depression and children and, and things like that when you got into therapy and you started to unpack all of those feelings how did you get to the place where you were able to deal with your depression well i was told to start journaling and 
I told her, I was like, oh, I've always written, but I never really paid attention to the benefits because at that time I had not written in about three, four years. And I don't know why. Well, grad school, maybe. <laughs> when you start writing those research papers, you don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah. I didn't read for a while because of all the, the books and everything. But um, so I started journaling and I just started writing. And I was filling journal after journal after journal of hurts and pains and things that I never even remembered until I started writing. And so you know, we would go through the sessions, we would talk, but I did a lot of writing at that time, journaling. So you found your healing through writing. Yes. Uh, and now you teach that to others. So let's, let's talk about that <laughs> a little bit. How do you integrate journaling into helping someone who is dealing with stress or dealing with unchecked emotions? Well, I tell, I love writing. I am a writing teacher as well. So I know how to break down the complexity of writing to make it simple for people to begin. Like English teachers in high school made writing such a scary, challenging, frightful activity. And writing to me is like the best thing ever. So I know how to break it down and make it something that people can do without them feeling pressure that they have to do it. So when it comes to journaling, I've created journals, but I also just tell them, you know, the easiest thing to do is get paper, pen, set a timer for five minutes and write what's on your mind. If you start there and you do it consistently every day for a month, then you're ready for a more guided journal or something deeper with me. But you have to begin on your own because you have to get comfortable with the practice of writing. It's a practice. And if you haven't done it before or you haven't done it in a long time, you got to dust those cobwebs off a little bit. Awesome. I, and that's so true. English was like my least favorite subject because <laughs> of the writing. Yes. <laughs> like I love to write for my own personal enjoyment, but it was just something about English that those. And I would get mad when they would put red marks. I'm like, look, I'm, mm, I'm going to need all. Yes. So I'm like, what do I need to do? Because I don't want red marks on my paper anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been there. <laughs> so you, you talked about a little bit about being homeless. Mm -hmm. because you poured everything into starting a business. Was this after school, after you graduated, or was this during, that, during the time that you were in school? Well, I graduated from grad school in 2011, and I resigned from teaching in public school the same year. I was actually kind of forced out, but I decided to resign so I wouldn't get into an ugly legal issue. Mm. And so I was hoping to find another teaching job, Lo and behold, the state of Texas decides to do like these hiring freezes because of funding yeah. and school districts weren't really hiring at that time. So I was doing contract work, freelance work, and the business kind of just grew from there. I didn't really know what I was doing, but people were paying, but it wasn't enough to pay my bills because I owned a condo at that time. So I had a mortgage, I had mm. bills, I had a car. So, you know, it was a lot of expenses that I just wasn't able to keep up with doing freelance work. 
And so by 2013, I figured out what a deed in lieu is. And I did that through the bank. So long story short, a deed in lieu is where the bank takes the mortgage back and they forgive your mortgage. So you don't have to pay off the balance. And I explained that whole process in one of my podcast episodes, but they did that. So that was one less debt. But at the same time, I had nowhere to go because by that time I had been working for myself for two years. So I didn't have quote unquote a paycheck to get an apartment. So I, it was either staying at extended stay hotels or with friends. So it was a constant moving of going from place to place. And so it, it became very stressful. I became very upset that I had allowed myself to get into that position, that I wasn't telling you know, my mother, what was happening. I wasn't sharing with other people what was happening at the time. Only a few people knew the situation um, and they were supportive and they tried to help as best they could. But, you know, other people, they have their own bills, their own pressures Mm -hmm. and their own lives. So they really couldn't do much, but it was just, and then I started beating myself up. You shouldn't have done this. You should have done that better. You should have. So it was a shoulda, coulda, would've for you know, maybe another year or two. And um, I got a teaching job at this adult school, which I hated, but I said I was going to stay there one year and pay off some more debt. And I took every class they gave me. I subbed for every teacher who wanted to take a vacation, take a break, because I needed to pay off debt. So I did in 11 months. And then I walked out the door because I really did not (laughs) like, (laughs) I really did not like working there. But I had a financial goal in mind. When I left there, the only debt I had were college loans. I, I mean, I worked my tail off to make sure that I moved myself into a better financial situation. So it wasn't until... 2016, where I um, became roommates with someone so I could get myself on an apartment lease. And then my grandfather's third wife passed away and the his doctor said he couldn't live by himself um, because he's outlived two wives. And so I moved to Dallas and stayed with him for a while. So I'm back in Houston, have an apartment in my name because of the school that I'm working at, it was a paycheck. So that worked out great. But it was a good from 2011 until 2016. It was off and on between extended stays with friends, with family. Sometimes I'll call people like, hey, girl, I'm coming to town for a couple of weeks. Can I stay with you? They're like, sure. Because I didn't want to tell people I was homeless. Mm -hmm. But I knew that they would let me stay for a little while. So it was like, Who can I call to see if I can, you know, crash on their sofa for a week or two? (laughs) Wow. I think the the thing that you bring up in that, that's an important lesson is the resilience to just take the losses and bounce back from that. And then also to do what you have to do to get where you want to be. Yeah. and, And I don't want people to think, oh, it was quick, you know, bouncing back. I beat myself up every single day over, Mm. you know, every, I do not regret leaving HISD because I left, the reason I left, I was fighting for my students. I felt black students were not being treated the way they should have. 
And so because I was outspoken on that issue, I was a target and they won. I left the district, but I don't regret doing that. However, that was the catalyst to everything that happened because that decision, I felt I was blackballed. And so I was angry at the principal. I was angry at the school district. I was, so I had a lot of anger Mm. and I think a lot of that anger resulted in me not making wise decisions. So it wasn't until March, 2015, when I made that decision after reading The Circle of Fire by Justina Page, that I needed to make a decision to be happy and I needed to do whatever was necessary to get to happy. That's an awesome realization. And I think <laughs> it's important for people to know that it's, it's not necessarily going to be a short journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really don't have a choice but to go through it to get through. Exactly. Because there's no turning back. You know, I, you can't change anything that's already been done. Um, you can be mad about it. You can cry about it. You can cuss about it but it's done. So eventually you just have to accept that it happened and move forward. It took me a little longer than most people um, (laughs) to accept it, but I eventually did. So during that time when you were dealing with depression and then dealing with anger and all of those things, how did you present yourself outside? Did you find that you tried to mask those feelings? Definitely. Um, Well, I'm not a person who hides my feelings, number one. So people knew I was angry. They Mm -hmm. just didn't know what I was angry about. So people just always try to make sure they stayed on my good side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I remember at the school I didn't like teaching at, one of the Black teachers came up to me and I looked and I asked him a question. I said, do I look like an angry Black woman to you? And he said, well, now that you said something... And we had a very good conversation. I was like, but I'm not angry. I'm just annoyed and I don't want to be bothered. And so that conversation between he and I really gave me a different perspective on how people viewed me based on my mannerisms, based on how I spoke to people with my tone, uh, based on how I acted, my body language, not wanting to be around other people. Uh, keeping my door closed so students wouldn't talk to me unless it was absolutely necessary. So it, I realized I wasn't, an ang- I wasn't angry, but I didn't want to be an angry Black woman. I didn't want that perception. So I still didn't soften up at that moment, but, I, but it was the beginning stages of this is not who I want to be. This is not who I want people to perceive me as but I still didn't do anything. I just said, that's not what I wanted, but I didn't do anything to change at that time. So it wasn't until you made that decision that you wanted to be happy. That and um, it's crazy because I literally had a meltdown in a staff meeting. Mm -hmm. I stood up, I screamed at my supervisor in front of the entire teaching staff. I slammed the door open. I said, I'm better than this school you need me way more than I need you. I took the door, I slammed it, I walked out. I mean, it was, I had never acted like that before on a job. And Mm -hmm. I knew that moment that something was wrong, that something was off. Because why would I act that way when everyone says I'm the consummate 
professional. That was the perception of me. That was what people said, that I was always professional. I came in early. Um, I did my job. My paperwork was always done. I never, you know, was one to not do my job and do it well. But when I had that moment, I realized, wow, that's definitely not who I am. I knew that. I just didn't know who I was at the moment, but I knew that wasn't her. Mm. So how did you get to that place where you really started to dive deep into who you were as a person or who you wanted to be? At that time, I, I secluded myself from everyone. I had two friends, they knew about the situation. One of them booked me a hotel for a weekend so that no one knew where I was. So, so only those two knew where I knew where I was at that time. And that entire weekend, because everything I owned at that time fit in my car, I went through every piece of clothing, every piece of item that I had, and I started throwing things away. Anything that I felt was negative or gave me a bad feeling, it was recycled. Um, all the journals that I had, I recycled them. I even recycled all of my yearbooks because to me, I just didn't have a great childhood. So I didn't want that negativity. Mm. And I spent that whole weekend releasing material things that I felt were not healthy for me. I also decide, started making my decisions there. What did I want? What did I want to do? What did I want to accomplish? Who did I want to be? I cried a lot. I walked around the hotel room a lot. It was a it was crazy because I was also in a video campaign for being named one of Houston's top 100 young professionals. So through all of that chaos, I'm also having to pretend like I'm happy. Mm. And so I'm having to show up to the recording and pretend that I'm wanting to do the recording pretend that everything I'm saying that I believe at that moment and a year later when it popped up on Facebook and you know the memories yeah the editor he was like oh yeah I remember that and I was like that was one of the worst days of my life he was like we would have never known you came in and you did everything you were supposed to you were great on camera and I, I, I know how to act. I took theater arts as a child. So I, I know how to put on the face and you never know what I'm going through. Mm, there's another important lesson in that. It's is that getaway, that time that often as women, we don't take to just be alone with ourselves. And to yes, no voices, out. no yeah. voices, no anything I turned my phone off that weekend. I mean, that's a time for you to really cry, scream, yell. Hopefully, you know, not too loud where the police are. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, really kind of show that ugly process, that ugly pain that you cannot do in front of other people because they won't get it or they'll judge or they'll say, you know, just dust it off, be stronger. Oh, I hate that. But, you know, it's just they don't get that sometimes you just want to scream why and get it out you're going to keep moving on but sometimes you just want to ask why me why all of this why now yes and I think that's an important thing to honor those emotions and those feelings that you have because a lot of times we we tend to suppress our feelings because we're supposed to be stronger 
than the situations that we're up against. But it's important to, to allow yourself to have those feelings and allow yourself to have those moments where you question things. And even, you know, as a Christian woman, you know, people in the Christian faith think that, you know, you don't question God, but sometimes, I mean, sometimes you, you want to have those conversations like, okay, God, why, why? (laughs) I, um, for me, the reason I'm okay questioning God is because the relationship I have with him, I feel that we can talk about anything. Yes. And if I can't ask him why, even if I may not get the answer right then and there, if I have this close relationship, I should be able to say anything that's on my heart because that's the person I need to talk to, not, you know, Jim Bob over there. <laughs> but for me, I feel that if you have a true relationship, then you should truly be transparent with your feelings and talk to God as if he's sitting right in front of you, as if he's your, you know, BFF or your spouse or whoever you're close with, and you're having a conversation. So when I journal, I feel like I'm having a conversation with God. So it, I don't let people read my journal because it it gets, (laughs) you know, kind of crazy sometimes, but I know he's listening. Yes. to what I'm saying and he's allowing me to process what I'm saying and he's allowing me to get it out so that I can close my mouth and listen when I'm through. <laughs> yes, and that's and that's one of the things that I I love about God is like when you're you're going through when you're and you know you're angry and you're having all these emotions that you don't know how to process like you said even if you're if, even if you're writing them down and you get them all out and he gives you space to get all that out and then it's like okay, now I'm going to help you. <laughs> yeah so he's like you know like when your girl is going crazy like girl I'm gonna see you about next week okay yeah. you know he does the same thing <laughs> I'm gonna let you get it all out of Vernetta when you calm down then you and I can have a conversation that's how I feel <laughs> that's yes. how I feel it works <laughs> yes definitely and I think more people need to get to that place mm-hmm. they, I think their lives would be so much better if they could just get to that place and and get out of the traditions and and the limited view of God. Yes, because I I think preachers and pastors are wonderful people, but I wanted my own relationship. Like I didn't want them to be in the middle of my relationship with God. Um, I'm friends with a whole bunch. I don't know why they friend me on Facebook. They know how (laughs) outspoken I am, (laughs) but they stay. But I know they have a job to do because they were created for a specific purpose. However, for me and the strong personality that I have, I know I needed to be one-on-one, a direct um, relationship with God. That was going to work best for me. So how did you get to that place where you developed that one-on-one relationship with God? A lot of quiet time when you're by yourself, when you have no one else to talk to, Because, you know, eventually when you're going through stuff, you want to start texting people, calling people, and no one's answering, no one's answering, they're either at work, or they're like, oh my God, it's her again, I'm not going to, you know, (laughs) I'm ignoring, ignore, ignore, ignore. Eventually, when you have no one else to talk to, he's there. And so, eventually, I realized I was going to ruin friendships if I continued to only call when I needed to vent. Now, I I have lost some friendships because I overextended my emotional burden onto them. 
and I have to respect that it took a while for me because it was hurtful because I'm like you know that's my girl why aren't we talking but I extended my extended my emotional baggage onto them and that wasn't their um, burden to carry so when you have no one else you really begin to start only talking to yourself you start thinking you're crazy or something and I don't mean that in a very negative way <laughs> but you know you just start thinking you Am I talking back to myself? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not you talking back to your, yourself. Sometimes it's God sending the message and you need to hear it. So you're speaking out loud. So you get that message. But when you are literally by yourself, you can start hearing things. You can start saying things. You start releasing things. And that's when you start realizing okay, if I need something to work, I need to start doing it now. This is my chance. This is what I need to do. This is who I need to speak with. And we got to figure this out. We got to come to some type of uh, agreement, God, that, you know, is you and I taking on the world and you're going to get me through it. And, and then you just do it. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> love that. Uh, so having gone through all of that and journaling and having that moment where you were alone with yourself and able to release all of those things. When you got through all of that, what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself? The biggest thing I learned about myself, and it's probably going to shock you and your listeners, how heavy the burden was that I was carrying. It wasn't, oh, I feel better, or these are the lessons I learned. It was the bur the heaviness of the burden I was carrying. I did not realize how heavy it was until I woke up one morning and I took in this deep breath and I knew at that moment I had gained entry into peace. Mm. And I felt light. I woke up smiling. I woke up happy. And I was just like, I slept all night. <laughs> You know, no tossing and turning, but I did not realize how heavy the burden was until I woke up that day in August 2015, and it was just like, this is it. This is how I'm going to feel every day for the rest of my life. I am going to defend this feeling with everything I have. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a powerful realization, um, and I think just for you to own that. And everyone doesn't have that instant moment of joy and elation and things like that. But to have that subtle realization of I'm at a place of peace mm -hmm. and really acknowledging how heavy the burden is that you are carrying. When God does the work and he lifts that weight, it, it's tangible. Like you can feel it. You can. And you know, I know other people who've gone through their own process and they're like, when they got to peace, they were like, you just, it's, I tell people, it's like an elephant sitting on your chest every single day. Like, it's just something and you carry it every day. So take my anger issues, my homelessness, being depressed, and then isolating myself because I just didn't want to deal with people. I'm not a shy person, but being an introvert, you want to stick. So it was just like more and more and more and more and more stuff. And you're just sitting there like, when you wake up, you're like, oh my God, like I can breathe, I can move. What is this? It's a smile. I remember my last year teaching public school 
one of my students did something and I laughed because it was funny. You know, he was joking around or something. And one of my students go, oh, wow, Miss Freeney smiled. And I realized that that was my first time ever smiling mm-hmm. for my students. And I'm teaching first grade and I'm like, these kids should not not have a happy teacher. And so I tried my bat, my best to pretend that I was happy the rest of that school year. But the fact that that child said that, and this was years ago, you know, and it still stuck with me that I could have made their first grade experience not as wonderful because they did not see a happy teacher. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's going to stick with me forever because as a teacher, you want to make sure your students love what you are doing in that classroom and they have a very good memory of your class. But I think that that maybe, I mean, you know, God works things out in mysterious ways, you know, as they always say. (laughs) So even that sticking with you, does that allow you to, does it make you more conscious of how you interact with people now? Um, Not really because I'm, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, 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 I'm definitely still myself in a sense, but it's something that it doesn't haunt me like it did before, Mm -hmm. but it's something that I'm like, if I keep it ever present, then I know this is the reason I have to defend my peace because I can never go into a setting where someone says, oh my God, Vernetta, that's the first time I've seen you smile. Mm -hmm. I cannot do that again. So it's one of those things that's keeping me um, hyper vigilant of, I need to do everything possible to protect the peace that I've created because I never want to have anyone say, you look happy as if I didn't look happy the day before. So yeah, it, it, it doesn't change how I <laughs> interact with people, but it's, a, it's definitely it's a reason. you a higher conscious of yourself. Yes. Of yourself. Yes. And so because I'm outspoken, some people take it as angry, but I'm like, I'm not angry. I can speak my mind or disagree with you, but I'm not like hating the world. That's how you feel. Okay, good. Then you go your way. I go my way. And, you know, maybe we'll meet up again. Who knows? But I'm not angry, especially after that conversation with that coworker about being the... (laughs) you know, being the angry black woman, I didn't want that perception because I'm like, my mom is always happy. Like, why is my mom always happy? And I'm sitting here like, oh, I don't want to deal with anybody. I'm looking at the phone, it's ringing. I'm like, ignore, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> you know, I wanted to enjoy life. So those two things, I, I share a lot of with people, those two things, because they keep me mindful that I need to defend this piece that I created because those are perceptions that people had of me at one time. Mm. I, I think it's such a great thing that you are unapologetic about maintaining your place of peace because a lot of times as a woman, we give that up for the comfort of others. Yeah, for everything. And the reason I, I defend it is because I know what it's like to live in a state of chaos in a state of stress, in a state of, you know, anger. And it's not pleasant. It's work. I mean, it's tiring, exhausting, frustrating, 
work that you have to maintain. And peace is so easy. But again, as a community, um, if most of your listeners are African, African American, we've never experienced true inner peace as a community, as a whole. And so we don't know what it feels like. We don't really know people who live that way. And, you know, I've had people personally attack me because they see me acting this way. So they want to throw up my past. And I had to remember they don't know what peace looks like. They don't know what it feels like. So my behavior is considered abnormal because, you know, why is she happy or why is she acting like that? I like my life. It may not look the greatest to other people, but I like the life that I've created. I like who I am, the person that I was created to be. I've accepted that. I, I, it works for me. But people who aren't there yet, they don't know how to interact with people who have gotten there. Mm-hmm. But it's my job to not take it personal because I was that person who attacked people who knew who they were because I'm like, well, you're just making that up. You're not really happy. You're, you know, you didn't really wake up uh, in peace. What is peace? So is something as a community, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it feels because honestly, on both sides of my family, I wouldn't be able to name one person that I know is living in true peace. Mm. I think that's a sad reality of just of our, like you said, our African-American community, probably more so than other communities, just because of the struggle that we've had to endure that's been passed down from generation to generation and, and the longstanding effects of those, of the things that our ancestors had to endure. And stress is passed down through generations. Um, There's a lot of studies I've read. A lot of psychologists are doing research on it. Stress is something that is being passed down, especially in the Black community. So we're literally born with that feeling. So we don't know what peace feels like. What would be your advice to get a person to that place of peace? How do you lead them in that journey? I can't lead people who haven't made the decision that that's what they want. So once they made the decision, then I begin with telling them, begin to just journal because peace is going to come once you start realizing I made the des- this decision. Now it's time for me to begin to unpack everything I've been holding on to. So it's a layered process, but a lot of people want to go from, okay, I want peace. No, give me peace. I can't give you peace because my peace is set up differently than your peace. Peace is not the same for everyone. And the problem is everyone wants what they see someone else has. Mm-hmm. Okay, she looks happy or she's making a lot of money. I want that. But you don't know the, the path or the process that this person had to go through to get to that particular stage. Um, for me, people would not be homeless for, you know, three years. They would not go through that process. I felt like, you know, I was in the wilderness, (laughs) you know, like the Israelites. You're just roaming around until you finally find something that works. But if you make the decision that you want peace, then I'm going to help you define it. 
once you define what peace looks like to you, then we start removing everything that's going to be a problem for you to maintain it. So if you need to let go of friendships, if you need to, number one, put boundaries on your time, that's everybody. <laughs> Learn to say no. Understand that you can only give from the overflow of your cup, not from your cup itself. I give from the saucer that my cup sits on. No one gets anything from my cup but me. If I don't have anything on my saucer, then no one gets anything. And everybody is sharing what's on the saucer. Vernetta gets everything that's in the cup. That's something people have to realize that when you feel and when you are your best, you can help other people. But learning to set boundaries, say no, what are the problems that you were really dealing with? Who would have known not having a grandmother was a was a trigger as to why I felt certain type of way about other people or towards life in general. It's things like that you don't know until you really start realizing what does peace look like? Okay, I've defined it. Now I have to remove everything that is not going to make sure that I get to maintain that peace. Awesome. That's excellent advice. <laughs> Excellent advice. I think everyone can find something in there to use and just starting to write, like you said, just getting your feelings out. Yes. And it doesn't have to be something that sounds pretty or looks pretty. Just whatever you're feeling, just start writing. Exactly. I teach writing, but if you looked at my journal, my handwriting is horrible. I don't even know if I'm spelling words correctly. Punctuation is probably non-existent. I'm sitting there like, is this correct grammar? Like, I'm not. <laughs> when you journal, your English teacher is not over you with a red pen and will edit it. This is literally for you to release it. It, I mean, I've posted pictures of my journal online and I'm like, you know, horrible handwriting and, you know, it's not pretty. It's not color coordinated like all the other ones who were on Instagram. Yeah. However, I feel good about myself. I don't know if they do. You know, I don't journal to post online to appear a certain way. I will share with you, this is, this is what I you know, wrote, or this is the handwriting. The, the thing is, it's not what it looks like, it's what I feel like. And once you get to what you feel like, what other people think about what you're doing, it's not gonna be something that's going to stop you. You know, every there's a lot of people teaching journaling. There's a lot of people on Facebook who all of a sudden started teaching journaling after I did it, but that's okay. You know, some of them have fizzled out already. <laughs> Others are trying to stick with it, but I'm a writer. I teach writing. So, so journaling isn't something far-fetched. This is my skill set. I've been doing this for 10 years, teaching writing. So being able to teach journaling the new process is teaching people how to define peace now that's an uphill battle because you know everybody's like peace 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 but how many people are teaching you how to define peace yeah that means you have to start tapping into people's pain and that's scary because that means people now have to acknowledge that pain mm -hmm. and they have to deal with that pain 
and a lot of people don't want to do it and you have to wait until they are ready to do it that's an excellent point and that's a, it's a good place for us to a good place for us to bring this conversation to a close i want to thank you so much again for coming on and and sharing your story this has been a good conversation just rich full of information so i want to thank you for that Thank you. Thank you for having me and for letting me share. Um, I'm not ashamed of my story because it's my story. Uh, I'm not embarrassed by my story. And there are still people who are ashamed and embarrassed by their story. Everything, I made a choice. And those are choices and consequences <laughs> that I have to live with. However, I've, like you said, been able to bounce back. It may have taken me a long time, but I'm definitely someone who feels that if you have a problem with my story, then that's you. But I don't have a problem sharing my story. Yes, own your truth. That's yes. <laughs> Real in people, own your truth. <laughs> exactly. No matter what anybody thinks about it, it doesn't change the fact that it is your truth. And or that it happened. Yes. You know, I'm not gonna let someone erase what's happened to me it happened to me it did not <laughs> you know it happened to me not to you so I should be the one who would want it changed and if I don't want my story changed then I'm not going to let someone else change my story yes yes so for people who are at that process who are at that place where they have made that decision that they want peace how can they get in contact with you and start that journey? Um, go to my site, vernettarfreeney.com. I have blog posts on there, not just on how to journal, but I have blog posts from a reflective side of, you know, things I may have gone through or shared. Um, you can learn more about the journaling process on there as well. I'm not one to jump in and say, you need to start journaling because I understand what English teachers did to a lot of people. <laughs> so I have made it easy for people to learn at their pace. I also have a Facebook group, The Truth Confidant with Bernetta Arfrini. And definitely, if you go to my site, you'll find the link. And I have, um, right now, five free journaling courses and one paid. And so you can go in there and you can start learning at your pace. And again, I'm not charging you because I understand what English teachers have done, but you really start to get an insight into what journaling is because I take you, you know, video by video. It's five different courses. The members in the group have already given me like three different topics of journaling courses they would like me to create. So I create courses based on what people in the group are dealing with. Awesome, awesome. And we will link to uh, your website in the show notes so that everyone can easily get in contact with you. So again, thank you for being on the show. And I want to close with your letter to your younger self. Yes. And so uh, this is a pretty long letter for um, everyone who's listening. However, I wrote this letter to myself because this was part of my healing. Okay. So um, dear 18 year old Vernetta, what can I say to you? What can I say that will help you navigate through college and your 20s unscathed? What can I say that will help you understand the depression you fought through was all for a purpose? 
Now that I'm 31, there are so many lessons I can tell you about. So many things I can prevent from happening to you, but I can't. So I will share several poignant lessons that will help you grow strength from your past. The lack of love you felt you received from your father should never prohibit you from showing and giving love to others. Don't take on others what you felt deprived of. So don't take out on others what you felt deprived of. Going hard for a career you didn't care about is worthless. Don't allow others to pressure you to get that good, stable job. Take a chance, a risk. Guess what? Life keeps moving on and you can always change direction if necessary. Learn to enjoy the little moments as they don't ever come back. Learn to relish in just being, nothing else, just embracing all that is within you and around you. It's okay to be emotional. No one can tell you any different, but know how to use those emotions to heal and not hurt others in the process. You won't have your life together by 30. Most people don't. So don't stress yourself out. Just know that every day you make an effort to live your life, move one step closer to your purpose. No one can take that away from you. The sacrifices you made only built an inner strength necessary to show other women what it's like to own who you are meant to be. It's okay to walk away from everything you've ever known or been taught if deep down it conflicts with who you are and what you believe at this stage in your life. You are grown and can form your own opinions whether or not they contradict with your upbringing. Wishing and hoping for others to change never work. So get up each day and make something happen. Whether small or big, each step you take makes a difference for your future. Overcoming your 15-year battle with depression was hard fought, but you won. You kept working until you felt you were in a good space. Now let others know depression doesn't have to stop you from creating a wonderful future. When all else fails, just say F it and let it go. Release and let it go. Don't allow those negative thoughts and energy prevent you from letting people see the caring, loving person you are. What other people think about you is not a fight you have to wage each and every time. Just move on and karma will deal with them later. You will be almost 30 when you actually get your true, genuine friendships. The friends from your past that hold a special place in your heart stay with you through your journey into becoming you. But the friends you have today are the ones who helped you break down the walls around your heart and pushed you to be you. How? They accepted you for you with no questions asked. I hope these lessons will empower you to know that your inner beauty will be a reflection for others. It's a mirror to encourage other women to know that their past shame would no longer be a stain in their life. You are a game changer because you never gave up on yourself. For that, be extremely proud. Sincerely, your amazing future self. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and so I was 31 when I wrote that um, letter. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Once again, thank you to today's special guest for joining us on this episode. And thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you have gained some nuggets of wisdom that you can take away with you into your everyday life. And if you are ready to unmask your past, overcome your pain, and own your truth, just as our guest has done today, 
then visit laterawise.com and schedule your consultation today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, your true beauty lies beyond the mask.